Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Matthew chapter 21. Hopefully you've got those Bibles or you have it digitally on a phone or a tablet, something like that. As you're turning there, just a little bit about myself. I came to know the Lord, became a Christian at 18 years old, the summer after my senior year in high school. So I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up knowing the things of the Lord. I knew what Christmas was about, but that was about it. I didn't know... The stories in the Bible really didn't have a clue. As a matter of fact, the first Bible that I read through was one of those picture Bibles, right, that you give a toddler. I read through that because I had to start somewhere, right? I didn't really have a basis for anything that, you know, they were teaching in in the sermons on Sunday. So I wanted to understand where they were coming from. So I read one of those pictorial Bibles. That was the very first Bible that I read through cover to cover, right? You've got to start somewhere. So I got saved summer after my senior year in high school, 18 years old. And I grew with the Lord very quickly. My heart was on fire for the things of the Lord. I was at church whenever I could be at church. I was there setting up. I was cleaning up. I was tearing down. I was at this Bible study and that Bible study and this prayer service and that prayer service. Whenever the doors of the church were open, guess where I was at? I was at the church. And when I first heard the teaching of the rapture, for those of you who maybe haven't heard that yet, the rapture is the doctrine that one day the Lord is going to call his church home. He's going to snatch the church up and is going to take the church into the presence of God in a twinkling of an eye, the Bible says. When I first heard the teaching of the rapture, I have to admit to you this morning that I was a little hesitant. And I love the Lord, passionate about the things of God, but... In my heart of hearts, there were things I still wanted to do on this earth with this life. I still wanted to get married. I wanted to have children. I wanted to serve the Lord and and get in ministry and do things for the Lord. And so there was this part of me, I'm ashamed to admit today, that was like, Lord, can you just wait to come until after dot, dot, dot. Right? You guys have those things maybe in your lives where, yes, you want the Lord to come, but then there's this part of you that's like, but, but I really want to accomplish this, or I want to see that happen. And so that's kind of where I was at in my early years, right, when I was just starting to walk with the Lord. But you know what? Time goes by, and I got married, and I started doing ministry, and I had children. And you know what? I do not feel that way at all anymore, right? As a matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. Why? Because I understand and I've maybe had a little bit more life that I've experienced. Maybe, hopefully, Lord willing, I'm a little bit wiser than I was at 18 years old. And I look around the world and just how wicked the world is. How the world is falling apart. And now I have these three little human beings that I'm supposed to care for and look after. And do you know what? In my heart of hearts, it's so difficult looking at my children grow and thinking, man, Lord, I just want you to come before their first heartbreak, or before someone lies to them, or takes advantage of them, or before they really understand what life can be like, and what life is really all about. And so my perspective has completely changed. I want more than anything just to protect my children, right? So my kids, 
are a little bit more grown now. Again, this is being very frank and open with you guys. Their social life is more full than my social life, than Sarah's social life. They have more activities and more events and more things to do than we do. And so our children are always coming and going, okay? And I, myself, as a father, as a parent, I can never truly rest until all of the kids are under the roof. You guys who are parents understand this, right? I want more than anything to be able to protect them, to insulate them from what's out there in the world. And I feel uneasy until they're back under my care, until they're back under my roof, until I can make sure that I'm able to protect them from what's out there. What we have at Palm Sunday is God, our Heavenly Father, doing just that, making sure that you and I are protected from what's out there in the world. See, put yourself again in this scene. You have to kind of surround yourself with what's going on because Palm Sunday happens during the season of Passover. And so these Jewish believers, right, the Jewish males within a certain radius, they had to come to Jerusalem. They had to come to Jerusalem during Passover. And they had to bring with them a lamb that would be offered, a lamb that would be sacrificed, the Passover lamb, they called it. And what does the Passover lamb represent? What does it speak of? That Passover lamb would remind the children of Israel of the deliverance that the Israelites received when they were in bondage, in slavery, in Egypt for 430 years. They were in bondage, but God gave them the Passover lamb. If they were to slay the lamb and put the blood on the doorposts of their homes, when the angel of death passed through Egypt that night, whoever had the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, the angel of death passed over that home. And so they were to bring these lambs during this time, during Passover, during the season of Passover, into Jerusalem. And so those lambs had to be inspected by the priest. The book of Leviticus tells us that those lambs had to be without spot and without blemish. They had to be perfect lambs. You couldn't bring a lame lamb. You couldn't bring a sick lamb. You had to bring a lamb that was whole, one that was spotless, one that was blameless, one that had no blemishes. And so they would bring these lambs to the priests, and the priests would take them in. And they would begin to inspect the lambs during the week when the pilgrims were there in Jerusalem, when they had all gathered together. They would inspect carefully these lambs to make sure that the lambs were without spot and without blemish. And so the city was bustling. The city swelled in population during this Passover season. And it's filled with pilgrims. It's filled with sheep. It's filled with priests who are taking their profit. You see, these lambs would be brought to the priest. They would inspect the lambs and they'd find some sort of a blemish with the lamb. And they'd say, well, you know, it's unfortunate that your lamb is not fit for sacrifice. But it just so happens that I have a whole flock full of spotless lambs. And I can sell you one for a price. And so what would they do? They would take that blemished lamb. They would trade with that pilgrim. They'd put that lamb into that fold. And they'd sell that lamb to the next guy. This is what the religious leaders of the day were doing. This is how they were profiting off of people's heart to come and to worship God. Wickedness, right? And so the city's filled with all of these things happening. This is what's going on during this time. And how it must break God's heart to see what he meant for good, what he was trying to speak to the children of Israel, trying to prepare them for the Messiah, their deliverer that would come. How they just completely perverted the whole process. And so here's what's amazing. We have on Palm Sunday... What we're going to read about here in Matthew chapter 21. We have Jesus that's going to come in 
to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the same day that the pilgrims are bringing in their sheep to be inspected to make sure that they were fit for the Passover sacrifice, Jesus, whom the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that Jesus is our Passover lamb. And on the same day the pilgrims are bringing their sheep into Jerusalem, guess who shows up? Jesus shows up as your Passover lamb and my Passover lamb to be inspected by the religious leaders to make sure that he was without spot, without blemish, that he was a pure spotless lamb, pure spotless sacrifice to stand in my place and in your place. Check this out, Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1 if you have it. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples, they went and they did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they put their cloaks and the, they sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now let's look at this text, really focus on, in on a few things. The first thing, if you're taking notes with us this morning, very simple outline. There are six main points there. There's plenty of room for you to take other notes. But the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is a man of purpose. We see this in this text. We see this in this account, Matthew's account of what's happening here on Palm Sunday as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Look at that. Did you catch it in verse 1? Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem. Now, think this through with me just for a moment because sometimes we put Jesus into this ideal that what happened to him at the cross happened to him unsuspectingly, that he didn't know or didn't understand what was awaiting him, the kind of punishment, the brutality, the pain, the death that was awaiting him when he came into Jerusalem, but he knew very well what awaited him, and he showed up for you anyway. When they drew near to Jerusalem, listen to what it says here in Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 53, it says this, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Verse 52, and he sent messengers ahead of him who, when they entered the village of the Samaritans, to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. There came a point in Jesus' life and in Jesus' ministry where his focus shifted. He went throughout the regions preaching and teaching and healing and touching and encouraging and blessing but there came a point in Jesus' life and in his ministry where he knew that his focus needed to shift, that he needed to fix his face, some versions say, to fix his face on Jerusalem. The word means to fix firmly. It means to have a conviction about something, to have a bold conviction that this is what God has for me. 
Jesus understood exactly what was waiting for him in Jerusalem, and he set his mind on that thing. He was focused on that thing like no other. Why? Because he needed to show up as your deliverer. He needed to show up as your spotless lamb. He needed to show up as your Passover lamb. That's the only way that your sin could have been forgiven. So in his life, there came this point in Jesus' ministry in his life where his focus solely became glorifying the Father through his sacrifice so that you could be saved. Let that sink in just for a moment. Many of us in this room, we focus on a lot of different things. And we're distracted, maybe, if we're honest, about a lot of different things. Life comes in. Career comes in. Hobbies come in. And it choke out our effectiveness. It chokes out our ability to really bring glory and honor to the Lord. But there was a time in Jesus' life where he set everything else aside so that you could be reached His focus in life became glorifying God through saving you. You are what he was thinking about. Now listen to this for a moment. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 20. It says this in Matthew chapter 20 verse 18. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. He's speaking to his disciples, okay? Understand this. Jesus knew what was going to happen. It didn't surprise him. He wasn't arrested by surprise. He wasn't hung upon a cross by surprise. He wasn't whipped by surprise. He understood what was coming. Matthew chapter 20, see, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will deliver him to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised the third day. This is going to happen to me. One of you will betray me, I'm going to be given over to the high priest and I'm going to be flogged. That means to be whipped, to be beaten. I'm going to be mocked, spit upon, ridiculed, right? And I'm going to eventually be crucified, left for dead, but I will raise. He told them what was going to happen before it happened. Look at the way it's put in John chapter 12 in John's account. Jesus would say this, now my soul is troubled And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. I don't know if you were in Jesus' shoes, how you'd feel about that, knowing what awaits you in Jerusalem. And there he is struggling through a time of prayer, maybe struggling with the Lord, maybe, you know, really having issues He knows that this is getting closer, it's getting closer, it's getting closer. And he says, what am I to do? Should I pray that I would be delivered from this trial? But it's for this purpose that I've been sent. This is literally why God sent me here, is to fulfill this purpose. How can I pray otherwise? And then he goes on further and he says, and this I understand, that when I am lifted up, when I am crucified, that I will draw people into my presence. I will draw people into my protection. I will draw people into my security. And John, who he was smart enough to understand that what Jesus was saying here, he was saying for the purpose of letting the disciples know how he was going to die. He was going to be hung upon a cross. When I am lifted up, I'll draw all men into myself. Again, I don't think that you and I would have been able to respond as courageously as Jesus did to this trial. Think about it just for a moment. All right, if I came to you and I said tomorrow, look, I'm going to give you $5 million tomorrow to step into the ring with Mike Tyson. Even when he's 56 or 54 or 58, I don't know. He's, he's in his 50s, right? How many of you would say, you know what, I'll take that fight? 
Maybe you would for $5 million, right? I mean, one punch and it's over, right? But I guarantee you, you would not be walking with very much confidence on the way to the ring to step into the ring with Mike Tyson. You would not because you know you're going to get your butt handed to you, right? But what does Jesus do on Palm Sunday? He confidently rides into the ring where he knows he's going to be destroyed. If you put yourself back in your junior high days, early high school, you know when kids are really, 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 really mean, all right, and you're going to the dance for the first time, and you're worried about your appearance, you're worried about how you look and what you're wearing, you're worried that when you walk in through those doors, you're going to be mocked, that they're going to tease you, that they're going to say mean and hurtful things, that they're going to be whispering behind your back, right? And how many of you would be excited about walking through the doors into that dance if you knew that's what's waiting for you? But what does Jesus do? He shows up to the dance, even though he's going to be mocked and ridiculed and spit upon. Why? Because his mind was fixed on where God wanted him to go. He had purpose. And his purpose was to fulfill God's plan in his life and by reaching and drawing you into his presence as he hangs upon a cross. When I read the book of John or the gospel of John, I'm convicted. Because in John chapter 4, Jesus says, my food, my sustenance, the way that I'm nourished, the way that I'm cared for is by doing the will of God. I feel full. I feel content. My heart overflows. My spirit is satisfied when I'm walking in the will of God. What were his disciples saying? Jesus, you need to eat. Jesus, you need to eat. Jesus, you haven't eaten. And Jesus says, my food is to do God's will. That's convicting to me. I wonder how many of us this morning are empty inside. Right now, you're sitting there empty because you're not walking in the center of the will of God. Jesus says, my purpose is to do the will of the Father who sent me. That's why my, my purpose, and this is what he says in John chapter 5, I didn't come to seek my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He says it very similarly in John chapter 6, once again. So John chapter 4, John chapter 5, and John chapter 6. He's all saying, I came to do God's will, not my will. My purpose isn't about living life for me to be satisfied or for me to find some sort of pleasure in life. I came to bring pleasure to God, and I'm satisfied, and I'm full, and I'm content when I am doing that thing. Look at what this says here, Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to just read it to you. Maybe it's verses you're very familiar with. John chapter 16, verse 21. You can write that down and read it later if you want to make sure I'm reading it properly. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, that's pretty clear, isn't it? He's telling his disciples what he's going to do. But look what happens here in verse 22. And Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to him and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Wow. Here's Peter, and I think his heart is probably right. I think his heart is in the right place, but his words are far from right. 
and he comes to Jesus. Jesus, that's not who you are. That's not what you're going to do. You're not going to have to suffer. You're not going to have to die. You're our deliverer. You're the one who's going to rescue us, redeem us. You're going to set us free as a people. That's who you are. There's no suffering in your future. And Jesus says, I need to stop you right there. Because you're trying to distract me from what God's purpose is in my life, what God's will is for me. And I need to fulfill his purpose. I don't need to hear you right now. Get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of what God wants to do. You're not mindful of my purpose. You're not mindful of God's will. You're seeking after the things of man. And again, I wonder if this wouldn't be us. If we were in the presence of Jesus today, I think we would be rebuked just like Peter. Why? Because we come selfishly to the Lord for things that we want and we desire. We're not mindful of the things of the kingdom. We're so focused on ourselves, even in our own prayer lives. Not Jesus. See, Jesus put his money where his mouth was. When his disciples came to him and said, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? What did he say? He said, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What? Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do you pray? You pray, Lord, accomplish your will on this earth. Accomplish it through me if you need to. That's how you pray. And again, we don't have this same heart. We don't have this same mindset. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's struggling with the wrath of God that's going to be poured out upon him. And he prays, please, Lord, if there's some other way. But what does he tag that with? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I surrender to your will. And I think sometimes we want to say that we're doing a pretty good job with this. We want to believe that we're really truly surrendered and abandoned to the will of God like Jesus was here, to the purpose of God like Jesus was here. But if we're truthful and if we're honest, there are things that we hold back because we say, Lord, your will be accomplished in my life as long as I'm not going to be sick, as long as I'm not going to be broke, as long as I don't have to suffer, as long as I don't have to see my children in pain. Lord, your will be done in my life, but I'm going to keep these things and these things I'll figure out. Your will be done in my life, but don't make me suffer. That's not the way Jesus prayed. That's not the way Jesus lived his life. And if you really, truly want to find fulfillment, contentment in your life, it's going to bring you to a place of brokenness where you say, Lord, it doesn't matter what you do in this life. It doesn't matter what happens in this flesh. Why? Because I know that something better is coming. And my hope isn't here. My hope is there. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said this. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Talk about suffering. Jesus says if you're not willing to suffer with me, then you're not worthy of me. But he goes on and he says this. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When you just come to that place in your life where you really truly surrender to the purpose and the will of God like Jesus did. Lord, I know that your plan for me is to suffer on a cross, but it's okay. Why? Because that I, I know that when I'm suffering on that cross, you're going to draw people into my presence. It's worth it, Lord. In the end, your will is worth my suffering. This is Jesus' heart. He had a purpose. His eyes were fixed. He was intent. He was concentrating. He was fixated upon making it to Jerusalem on this very day. So the first thing you see there, he's a man of purpose. Secondly, I want you to see from this text is he's a man of prophecy. And what I mean by that is he's a man who comes to fulfill God's prophetic word. Look at what this says here. 
verse 2. So he comes to Jerusalem. He says to his disciples, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley, with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivorg website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivorg or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.